pronounce it ketamine or ketamine? You know, everybody has their own twist. I have some people that call it Kit Kat. <laughs> Ooh, yum. <laughs> right? Uh, ketamine, uh, it, however you want, I'm open. It's like tomato, tomato, you know? Presumably, if it's a horse tranquilizer, you'd probably be dead if you took it, you know, or something. Uh, well, it really, I mean, it's veterinarian grade. So veterinarians have different than human in the sense that we have prefrontal cortexes. Animals do not. Uh, it's only humans that tell animals they have thoughts. Mm. <laughs> right? Uh, like the dog misses me. The dog doesn't miss you, right? <laughs> but you have definitely created a trauma bond to where the dog has a reaction when you leave and arrive, which then we give mm. words to. You know what I mean? And yeah, so yeah. animals, when we disengage them to work on their body, then it's a whole different, it's a flaccid part that can, that actually happens to the physical of their bodies. Whereas we were disengaging the prefrontal cortex or the thought center, which in humans, it develops over time. It's the last part of our brain to actually wire to where we can have conscious thought. And it takes at minimum eight years, which is why little kids, I know, right. And it, we're no separate from this. It happened to you and I just as much. So, but where little kids and teenagers, it takes us such a long time to process information because the information is coming from the back of our brain forward, which then the last thing that we can do is form a sentence, which is why it's so hard for kids to concept and respond quickly, which is what honestly adults want them to do instantaneously because we've also been trained to hurry up. Yeah. It, it's just a mantra of America, right? Like we start forcing little kids to go to schools as early as four, uh, it, like to kinder, you're right. Other than that, it's preschool or whatever. And each morning we're getting our asses kicked. So it's like, hurry up, get in the car. <laughs> and little kids are like, what the fuck? <laughs> they, can't, they can't even think, let alone form uh, an intelligible sentence to respond. And you certainly can't do it quick enough because then, you know, it's that the parents are on to the next. That's why they encourage people to just do one thing at a time so that you can actually do that one thing efficiently. Uh, yeah. But otherwise we tell little kids like, go get your shoes, meet me in the car. What are you doing? Where's your water? Blah, blah, blah. Do you get a, it, it's just like, there's too much. And so mm. uh, the difference in that is huge. And we do use it. Veterinarians use it. I mean, uh, if you look at the, the way that we're uh, absorbing medicine right now, there's so many people, instead of going to a doctor or a hospital, they go get antibiotics from veterinarians and they get fish antibiotics. Really? Oh yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's a, it's something that's pretty common right now because you can just go into a pet store and get them. And so they're like, well, it's close Without enough. Prescription. Yeah. And the wait times, I mean, so there's so much multiplicities to this and where uh, animals, especially horses, uh, to be able to put a horse down and not down, like to kill it down or to end its life, but to do some sort of body work on the animal, ketamine's a, an amazing gift uh, because then their giant, strong bodies are tameable and you don't have to secure their airway. 
Because right? if you think about it, to innovate a horse or to secure a horse's airway is not easy. Yeah. Uh, it's easier for dogs or whatever. Uh, and that's the veterinarian side, but uh, it's a different medicine, but it's easier to get, uh, especially out of country. So then they send veterinarian grade and there's different grades, right? There's ketamine hydrochloride, there's ketamine R, there's ketamine S. And the ketamine that comes from the veterinarian side that's liquid, it just gets dried out and crystallized and that's how we snort it mm. and so therefore when we're snorting it we really are doing veterinarian grade ketamine so it is horse tranquilizer if you were to look at it in a in a, like a large scale sure that's exactly what it is but we're human so therefore it's happening to our human body which is why the body will become so heavy and why the mind's able to still travel everyone and welcome back to the Chitheads podcast. My guest today is Christy Myers. Christy is the founder and CEO of Flow Integrative, a ketamine psychotherapy practice that helps clients deal with mood disorders and substance abuse. Since its launch in late 2020, Flow Integrative has offered ketamine psychotherapy to over 100 patients and is currently a pilot clinic for the first psychedelic insurance company. Yeah. Most insurance companies, that's pretty exciting. Most insurance companies don't cover ketamine treatments for depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. She is also a professor and assistant director of emergency medical services department at Victor Valley College in California. She previously worked as a paramedic at several agencies, including the Department of Defense, San Bernardino County Fire Department, American Medical Response, and the Department of Justice. Christy has an associate's degree in paramedicine and fire science, a bachelor's in public safety, and a master's in leadership. So hi, Christy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you, Jacob. That is uh, one heck of an intro, so I appreciate that very much. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, which is, well, I guess, would we consider ketamine a psychedelic? Is it classed in that way? Totally. It's an altered state of consciousness, which is the epitome of psychedelic. So most definitely it falls into the psychedelic realm. Okay. Well, I'm excited to talk about this topic. It's something that, you know, we've explored a little bit in some of our offerings at Embodied Philosophy. We did this one uh, course one time called Psychedelic Integration, and it brought a lot of people into our audience. And so I know there are people listening who are going to be really kind of fascinated with uh, the work that you're doing. And so mm -hmm. First of all, I guess let's talk about what brought you to this work. What led you to focus on um, uh, psychedelic treatment, particularly ketamine psychotherapy? Yeah, uh, life university, <laughs> full full time enrollment in life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's that's the truest statement, right? Because if you were to have asked me this a decade ago, or uh, classifying it as psychedelics, or truly uh, what I've cultivated in this time space is my life's work has led me here, uh, which it has been compounded over the last thirty years, really. Uh, so. Going back, uh, I have been, I've been a paramedic now for 17. This will be my 18th year for research, uh, but I've been in emergency medicine since I was 18 years old. Wow. And yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, part of the story. So it goes all the way back. It's tragedy, which led to triumph. 
and a whole lot of grit. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I lost my dad to suicide. And unknowingly, that had course corrected my life to be here now, which I've been debunking that and coping with that, distracting, distorting, perverting, whatever we want to call it. But uh, there's multiplicities to how I really, truly coped with such a loss. And then, of course, what society had kind of just dumped on me about it, right? Mm. Uh, there was so many different opinions of suicide, and I was super influential uh, in that time space. Being 15 years old, it was in 1996, and uh, it definitely was something that was taboo and most certainly was not talked about. Uh, my family history has alcoholism in it. So therefore it led me to a lot of drinking and distorting and distracting. Uh, but it also led me to this area of professionalism concurrently, meaning I watched high functioning alcoholism in my family. And I also was really called to help the help help myself in a way that no one helped me when I was little, mm. uh, which then led me and really unknowingly uh, course corrected and guided me into here now. Uh, I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, my mom ran a lot of restaurants or she ran uh, three restaurants, but one big restaurant when I was younger and she put me to work when I was 14 child labor, right? Uh, <laughs> she's like, you don't need a work permit. You just get your house in the kitchen. Get your house uh, out there. Yeah. Right. So there was this big fire in Bowen ranch and there was like 200 firemen that came in. There was no women. They were all super dirty and smelled amazing like fire. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I, I really started down this, this journey of wildland firefighting. And so I was, wow. uh, I was really, uh, in adrenaline, if you will, I loved things in motion and I loved things that were challenging. And that was just my temperament. That was my behavior then, uh, which now looking back, not then I see that it truly was to be someone of service, uh, but I was still in such a young mindset in my early and late teens and early twenties that it was also really adrenaline driven. Uh, I wanted to be a smoke jumper. Uh, one one part of this jumper where you jump out of an airplane into the fire. So places where it's oh not my. as easily accessible uh, to like drive in on a fire engine, you would just parachute in with all your gear and then fight fire in those moments, uh, wherever it was, but rural areas or difficult terrain. Uh, and okay, I had so loved- Go You're ahead. a badass, basically. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I remember telling my dad when I was younger, I was like, I want to skydive. And he would always tell me, he's like, I'll take you skydiving on your 18th birthday. Well, he passed when I was 15. So the morning of my 18th birthday, I woke up and drove my ass to the airport and went skydiving. And that was just, I mean, it was one of those things. So it was definitely adrenaline based, but it was also very servant based. And I learned that along the way, right? Uh, so when ketamine found me, it wasn't until about a year and a half to two years before COVID hit. And what do I mean by that? There's a multiple uh, stories, but they're all uh, in sequence and they're all parallel. Uh, ketamine entered my classroom. So fast forward 20 years, I became a professor and 
uh, I started teaching anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, and the theoretical side of medicine. And when ketamine, the pharmacology side, ketamine entered our drug box. What does that mean? As paramedics, we started to administer ketamine to our patients. And you'll widely see ketamine used right now in emergency medicine. You call 911, and there's a pretty good chance that the paramedics that show up at your house have ketamine in their drug box as a frontline drug to help you with pain management. You know, when ketamine entered my classroom, there was also a student of mine that sat in the front row and he had a sticker on his computer that said ketamine and chill. And it looked like the net, it looked like the Netflix sticker. And I was like, man, I was like, what, what does that mean? And he, he really, and I'm like, well, it sounds kind of rapey, you know, like what, like, what does that mean? Like, what are we doing with this sticker? And then at the same time, ketamine was entering our classroom and it's multifaceted, right? And so I'm like, okay, I had my own ignorance, Jacob, 100%, because I knew of ketamine when I worked in the emergency room. We use it every day. It's still used every day to this day. It's being used right now, and it is used on little kids predominantly. Uh, it's safe for all, but it's extremely safe for little kids with conscious sedation. Uh, if they break their arm or they break their leg or they dislocate something, we give them ketamine because now they're separated from their body and we can replace your bone or we can replace your shoulder and you don't remember it because you're, and you also don't feel it because you're disassociated. Uh, and because it's so safe, there's no airway compromise, meaning it's a lot easier to do that in the emergency room to help someone than it is to put you into an operating room. And so ketamine is widely used in the ER. And then the other side of it is what I also saw working as a ground paramedic. Uh, I worked in a lot of uh, lower income areas to where you see people using ketamine recreationally and harmfully. So I had a spectrum of my own intelligence of the medicine. And then when I needed to embody it and talk about it enough to teach it to my class, which is anywhere from 25 to 35 paramedic students, uh, I needed to be able to fully know what it was I was talking about so that there was no judgment or misinformation, uh, which is what led me to fully study it, to understand that this is exactly what we need as professionals and as humans in this time space to help with PTSD, to help with anxiety, and to truly reset our nervous systems and transcend the stagnated energy that is stuck in our physical bodies. And that's when I started creating. And I started creating uh, when COVID shut us down. Uh, I also have two kids. So I have a 10-year-old and 12-year-old. Uh, when COVID hit, I was doing double headers on Sundays. We were doing baseball three times a week. We were doing batting cages. We were doing jujitsu. We were doing the plays and all the things that went along with single mom hood and raising two kids that were fully immersed in all the sports all the time. And so when COVID shut us down, uh, it really allowed me to, to be home. And I have a mantra, Jacob, in my house that it's if you see a problem and you don't do anything about the problem, you, in fact, 
are the problem. Uh, and and I was watching the the systems collapse. I mean, I, I was watching the crisis happen. I was watching all of it, not only in my classroom, but in my home and throughout all of the the online platforms that were being exploited, the systems falling, all the pieces, right? And uh, it, it was pretty evident that I needed to create. Uh, that's my gift as a human. Uh, learning it over the last 41 years uh, as a creator. And so I, I just started creating with my whole heart, everything I've ever learned up until this point and taking the tragedies of my life and really turning them into triumph with a boatload of grit and learning grace in my forties uh, to be able to uh, allow myself to tell this story uh, with relatability and uh, a whole lot of heart in the sense of uh, I've been in so many places myself and pulled myself out of some of the depths of my own hell. And how do I give back, you know? I love that. So let's talk a little bit about the, um, you know, obviously Ketamine we're talking about, and, and I think it will be probably a surprise to people to hear that it's been used so widely in, in the context of of, of medicine, particularly emergency situations. Um, so let's dispel some of the rumors, I guess, or some of the misinformation about ketamine. What are some of the things that are kind of the most popular misunderstandings or misconceptions and why, and how can we get past them essentially with the knowledge that we have now? Yeah, one is that it's addictive. Uh, mm. it's, it's not addictive. Uh, in the fashion that we're using it. Uh, can, does it have potential to be addictive? Sure, it, especially if we're addicted to escapism or spiritual bypassing or whatever we're using the medicine for. It's uh, no more addicting than this cell phone mm -hmm. uh, or coffee. That's true. <laughs> which I got which both. I'm drinking right now yeah. <laughs> same same I got both right next to me I got two of these good things next to me right so uh it's not addictive uh, and it's not a horse tranquilizer it can be a hundred percent it can be uh, it's in the way that we dose and it is the derivative of so ketamine's actually uh, a compound from earth it's 33 different compounds from earth. Uh, we took those compounds, we formulated a synthesized version, and then now we deliver it intentionally through different routes of entry. No matter what kind of drugs you do, they have to make it into the bloodstream. And so therefore ketamine has variability of how we can administer it. You can administer it via snorting it, you can put it in your cheeks and absorb it. You can eat it. You can inject it. You can put it in your muscles. You can even do it rectally. Ketamine's versatile. That's a huge thing right now is uh, people are learning how to do first pass. They're, they're bypassing the liver. They're bypassing the organ systems and they're going rectally, which uh, rectal most anything is pretty quickly absorbed. Mm. Uh, we see that right now and people are even butt chugging, right? I mean, you can even, uh, you can even put booze in your butt. butt chugging? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can put booze in your butt? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. 
I don't know that I'm going to rush to try that, but that sounds <laughs> butt chugging. It sounds particularly interesting. Uh, wow. There's a funny clip that you may want to watch for, with John Cena in a, a clip where he actually, they, they have him beer bong through his butt to uh, get into a party. <laughs> It's it's pretty good. It's really we'll put that we'll put that in the show notes, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you can find a link to that. Uh, yeah, so but it's is, it's all routes. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say. So who is, you mentioned something about ketamine being you know not appropriate for everybody or so who I guess is it appropriate for like who what what conditions you know and circumstances I mean we've already discussed obviously emergency pain uh, type of situations. But what is it, um, you know, suitable for? And you know, are there times when perhaps it's not appropriate for for someone, and you know, something else is needed? Absolutely. Uh, I really do have these two spectrums, right? Uh, haven't started, and haven't completed. So, what does that mean? Uh, it means if I am a sixty-year-old woman and I have never addressed my compartmentalization my distractions, my distortions, or any of my trauma. And I decide now in this time space, and I'm going to try it. Uh, it definitely can be more journeysome, meaning now we really have to look at how long have I been dehydrated? How long have I had these chronic compounded symptoms, which then present as autoimmunity, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, autoimmune, Lyme disease, there's multiplicities of compounded trauma in our physical body. And so when you start excavating trauma, and I will never say this as a discourager, because I am all in, and I'm all about helping everyone in their time space, the medicine meets you where you're at. But I will tell you that some people have a harder time in the sense of how dense is your trauma? Yeah. And how much are you willing to be uncomfortable in the process? Because once you start digging up some root trauma, there's some work that needs to get done, right? We really have to reevaluate how much we have prioritized avoiding ourselves. Mm. And we justify it all day long, right? Like, oh, I'm so busy or our kids, or we put all of these other people's needs in front of our own. And I will never say that that's right or wrong. It just is. But at some point, those kids are going to grow up. And at some point, we're going to be sitting there like, holy shit, where am I at now? You know, and we start down this journey. And perhaps we've also been medicated for 30 years. Yeah. Those are competitive antagonists. What does that mean? It means that there's some serious pharmaceutical drugs that have a stronghold inside of your body. And it's going to feel like shit for a little while until you're able to move past and through that, which requires lifestyle changes, which requires reevaluating your relationship with your current time space. And for some Jacob, they'll tell me, they're like, you know what, Christy, I I realize that this is too much work and I don't want to do it. And I love you for that because I love that you know that about yourself. That's it. You've already overcome so much because you recognize what you don't want, which then tells you what you do want. Mm. Mm. It, It meets everyone where they're at and some people aren't ready. 
Yeah. And some people are, and that's okay. So, that's really fascinating. So then, you know, the discomfort that you're talking about, I mean, I imagine it, it manifests differently for everyone, depending on kind of, you know, who they are and what they've experienced. But what are some of the examples of kind of the challenges and sort of obstacles that I feel like you're kind of speaking to? What 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 types of things come up for people? Is it is it um, you know, is it kind of a, a stronger uh, presence of that anxiety or rather a, a, a realization of it, you know, because they've, you know, been avoiding looking at it for so long. Yeah. What, what exactly is it? God, that's exactly right. So, uh, ketamine expands you, meaning it gives you room to recognize when you've been triggered. Hmm. Uh, you can't see the forest when you're smashed against the tree. So what does that mean? It means that for majority of our lives, we're reactive to the environment, meaning it's always this guy, right? Uh, whether it's in traffic, whether it's our kids, whether it's our husbands, whether it's our wives or lovers, whoever it is, uh, we give our power away. We allow other people to influence our behaviors, our moods, and we continuously are complaining about it. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, we recognize, and this is uncomfortable as hell, and I speak from my own knowingness of this, there's a point where we recognize that the only common denominator in all of our life is ourselves. And once we realize that, we realize that we are the problem, but we're also the solution. And so once you're ready to recognize that it's our own self that needs to soften, It's our own self that needs to become aware. Then we start pulling our power back. Meaning now I can practice the pause. Now I have enough room to breathe before I react. And then I can ask myself questions like, why are the people that I love the most pissing me off? What is it inside of me that's being pissed? And then I have enough bandwidth to either remove myself from the environment so that I don't hurt the people that I love and I can soothe my nervous system because that's another big piece to this, right? Is that everybody describes their nervous system disruption with symptoms. Meaning if I go to a doctor and I say, Hey, Uh, I always check my doors to see if they're locked and I'm worried that I'm not lovable or whatever that is. They literally diagnose us with what they think those symptoms are grouped as. I go, you have X, Y, and Z. So here's a pill for that. Rather than us being able to feel safe enough to tell our story And to know that we're struggling with trust or that we're struggling because we've been hurt or that we've been lied to, or we've been manipulated. And it's from the people that we loved and trusted the most, which is the people that we grew up with. That right there is the problem with, and it's not a problem. I can't so clear that it, uh, it's our ability to articulate our trauma and our story and to feel safe enough to do it without judgment. And because we realize that we're not separate, right? We all have a story and that story resulted in behaviors. 
and or avoidances or cryptic ways of talking uh, so that we didn't get in trouble. And that just translates over into adulthood. Yeah. And so how long have you been separated from yourself? How well do you know your nervous system? We have startle responses that are so bad. And those are from being hurt when we're really little. It's fucked up. And so how do we help people learn how to self-regulate and self-soothe? One of of the things that fascinates me the most, I was uh, an early 80s baby, right? Uh, That was when the campaign was uh, letting kids cry because it made their lungs stronger. The fuck? It's not true. Right. It's not, it's like saying like, let's bleed to make our veins stronger or our heart pump quicker. It's untrue. Right. So, um, and, and our parents are the best that they fucking could. I I will never discredit that. Right. But what did we learn from that? We learned that we had to lay in a fucking crib and cry until we either fell asleep or somebody became so fucking annoyed by our crying that they came and got us and started screaming. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so uh, it's the question comes into how long has your nervous system been dysregulated and how have you been dysregulating your dysregulation so that you can feel regulation? (laughs) Mm. We all do it differently, right? Uh, For some of us, we choose working. My my name's Christy. I used to work four jobs at one time. (laughs) That was my cope, right? I avoided myself with professionalism because I thought that was more responsible. But at the same time, I was still also drinking every chance I could because it was a lubricant to my nervous system disruption for when I wasn't working. And I smoked for the other side of that cope because smoking and drinking was totally fine in my professional world, whereas cannabis was not. And so I learned how to dysregulate my dysregulation with dysregulation. And you compound that, right? And so therefore that's the variable. And that is truly what is the most uncomfortable because we want to be able to put people into categories. Untrue. Uh, We may all like one thing, right? Like restaurants or groovy vacation places or whatever, but all of us dysregulated differently, but we all have commonality. And so how can I love you? Because I recognize that I am the same as you and that we're in this together. Uh, Your frequency, Jacob, is just as important as my frequency to my kids because we all feel each other. Yeah. And so how do I love you for who you are? And how do I let you feel safe enough with me that you can surrender and we can do it together? And that's the first hurdle, right? Uh, That's the first hurdle. And it's courage to look in the mirror and be like, holy shit, I'm the problem and I'm the answer. (laughs) So how can I help? How can I help myself? But we're also so busy helping everyone else. Uh, So how can someone who's listening, um, uh, you know, if they're, because it's everything you're saying is so, it's so compelling, um, but maybe someone isn't quite sure if it's right for them, or, you know, maybe some other approach would be, would be more fruitful or whatever, you know, yeah. how, how does one kind of know whether or not um, ketamine therapy might be a good 
approach for them or something for them to look into? It's to have courage to try it. Uh, it's courage, right? Like I, I sit with this often, Jacob. Uh, I went and sat with ayahuasca last August. Uh, I traveled by myself. <laughs> it, it was the one of the, I'm still integrating uh, what that showed me. Uh, and I'll share that too, if you have space for that. Uh, mm -hmm. I traveled by myself to Costa Rica. Uh, I found someone to help me with the kids for 10 days. I cleared my schedule. I flew to Costa Rica and I spent 10 days in the jungle by myself with the Shabiba people uh, and sat with ayahuasca. I had four ceremonies. Uh, the first ceremony was uh, the first dose. You allow them to really be the guides. It's open-ended in the sense that you also can help serve yourself if you feel called to have more. But of course, it's courage just to take that first drink because you don't know. Uh, I remember sitting with it the second night and and I, I had this talk with self, right? I was like, bitch, you used to throw down $20 at dollar drink night and not fucking bad an eye and now you're worried about drinking a little bit more ayahuasca are you what are you scared of right and and it wasn't me calling myself out but it was me looking at it through a lens of why was i okay with drinking 10 shots why was i okay with buying a 30 pack of beer why was i okay with drinking a whatever it was i was fine with that mm -hmm. but i'm not fine with this and so that really made me reevaluate some relationships, right? Of what I had normalized or what I had created fears around or stigmas, whatever, I debunking myself, constantly debunking myself. And so what I find with ketamine is that uh, the first time you sit with it, you still have apprehensions, right? First of all, you're surrendering to me or my team which we work really hard in the beginning and I cancel clear that we don't work hard. We show up for you three to four times before you sit with me. I don't want you to walk in not knowing me. And all of a sudden you're just going to disassociate and hope that I have your greatest interest in mind. That's scary as hell. And so we spend time with you before you sit with the medicine, but there's still apprehension. And so after your first time sitting with the medicine, you're like, okay, I'm back in my body. <laughs> and that wasn't as bad as I thought. But now the second time you surrender deeper, which means you explore yourself more. And so when people call it, I tell them, just come sit once with the medicine and then decide. Uh, there's a lot of literature that says there's a series of six or a multiple sessions with the medicine to achieve the greatest efficacy. It's true. However, I do not want to tell anyone that they have to sit with the medicine six times or they can't sit with the medicine. Right. Come sit with the medicine, decide for yourself and let's have a conversation. But if I, I would encourage you to do it twice because the first time you do have some nervous energy because uh, you're settling in, right? We put a mindfold on you. It's an introspective journey. It's a two-hour journey. And now you're learning what you need. You're getting so much insight into yourself. People ask me often, they're like, well, what should I do after? And I'm like, listen, that's a variable. Uh, you may want to go to the ocean. 
and give everything that no longer serves you to something that is so much more powerful than you, which is the ocean. Uh, you may want to go have some delicious potatoes and take a five hour nap, which is also super dope, right? <laughs> or, you, <laughs> or you may want to call everyone you've ever been an asshole to and just tell them you're fucking sorry. Uh, it's a variable because the medicine meets you where you're at. And so I can't, I'm not taking away your free will. I don't know your story that deep. I know what you told me. Uh, and so I can encourage you, but you got to take the steps. And so that, then that's where it comes in. Cause now you're, you're actively changing, but the change in this setting is evolution. It's growth. So as you're growing, you're rewriting your story. You are not obligated to be who you were even five minutes ago. So what do you want to go do? And that's where it's for some of us, we're learning what we want for the first time ever in our lives. Mm. That's powerful. That's so powerful. So then what is a, a ketamine therapy um, session like? I mean, you kind of started to describe it where yeah. it sounds like you, you have something over your eyes, yeah. you're lying down and you're yeah. with essentially a ketamine therapist and they are, yeah. they're what they're talking to you or you're just talking to them and they're helping you work through. What is it like? Uh, we have definitely a, a really uh, a different approach. We establish rapport. So you have an initial intake call with me or with Lauren, who is the ying to my yang, right? She speaks fluent Christie and she's embodying this medicine with me. This is my life's work and my soul's purpose is to create this arena. And she trusts me enough to professionally come work for me. I'm basically building a bike while I'm riding it. That's huge. And so and we spend time getting to know each other. And then I, I pass you over to Ashley, who is our psychotherapist. She's our psychedelic psychotherapist. And she does a really beautiful job of just connecting with you to know your story. Uh, and then you go meet one of our doctors. And as you meet one of our doctors, we look at your history. We look at your medications. We look at all of your story. And so now I have a trifecta of knowing you. And so I can take into consideration all these things of how we show up with the medicine, meaning the dose, meaning the, uh, the, the multiplicities that go along with the medicine, more fluids, the hydration, it's independent, meaning we take into consideration each person individually, not one size fits all. And so now when you come in for your first session, we ask you to clear, it's a two hour appointment. And as you come in, we really allow you to settle in. It's a more of a, a concierge or a spa-like environment in the sense that you take your shoes off, you get cozy, you snuggle up with your favorite blanket or your pillow or whatever you need. Uh, one of our nurses starts an IV on you. And then now we're allowing you to settle into the environment and to really connect with yourself in this time space. The facilitators or the therapists that stay with you are, are serving multiple uh, purposes in this. One is that they will write down all of the insights or uh, things that come to you 
so that you can have remembrance so that you don't have that internal pressure like, oh, I need to remember this. Uh, that doesn't always work out, right? And so you have someone who's scribing. You also have someone who's holding the light. What does that mean? It means that when you separate from your physical body, knowing that someone is sitting right there next to you, that 100% has the greatest intent for you, allows you to feel so safe to explore the unknown. They'll also show up for you in the ways that you need, whether that's uh, grounding and holding your hand, whether that's the blanket, whatever it is that you need in those moments, you're able to truly ask for it. And someone shows up dedicated to you, for you in that moment. The afterwards or the landing period. So again, it's an introspective journey, meaning we take the environment away. So now you're not influenced by what you see and or uh, what you're perceiving. It's all inward. So you're blacked out. That's also courageous because the dark can be scary for a lot of people. But that again, that's why we work so hard on the front end, or that's why we show up the way we do on the front end, so that you already know that you're safe in the environment. And then we incorporate vibration and frequency and music so that we can tap into the amygdala. We can tap into the hippocampus, the two areas that become uh, accessible when we get the nervous system opened up and out of our own way. And so now we're vibrationally healing all the frequencies that are trapped inside of the brain neurologically, as well as in the physical body. So we're liberating energy from you in your mind and body while your soul allows you to see what you need to see. And that's your free will. That's the inner knowingness that only you can provide for you. You're able to see yourself in a transcendental space. <sighs> which the insights that come from that are worth their weight in gold. Yeah. Because you're the only one that knows the answer. I can try to digest it. I can guess it. I can educate it and hypothesize it. I can do a multiple amount of things just because of my own life experiences. Uh, but for some that's extractive and that can be harmful and it can also be wrong. Yeah. And so I can cause more harm by telling you what I think you think rather than creating a safe enough arena for you to explore yourself. And then afterwards, when you land and come back into your body, that is optional as far as how you unfold. We provide an environment where you can just sit and be and land and nurture your body with food or something delicious along those lines. Maybe it's just hydration. Uh, we also hydrate you so that your body has uh, enough lubricant to push any stagnation of energy that may be residual from what you moved through during therapy. We also have a beautiful person that knows how to actively listen and hold space for you. So you can unfold, you can digest you can share and feel safe enough to do so. Incredible. Sign me up. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so, um, you know, uh, oftentimes I think people have this understanding of disassociation as something that's bad and you've mentioned it a few times. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about that misunderstanding, like why is, why can be, I mean, I think you already reflected earlier on how disassociation might not be the right choice for some people with certain types of experiences, but why, and for those that, you know, it is transformative, why is it transformative? What does it allow for that makes change possible and makes, you know, moving through these constellations of trauma um, possible? It allows you to become an observer of your own trauma. So therefore you change your relationship with it when you're observing your trauma through the lens of the trauma it's trauma Mm -hmm. when you can come outside of that network and you can now perceive it from highest self you now observe it and you're able to recognize that it happened to you and not because of you that is one of the most powerful things for a human to embody where that can become uncomfortable and or harmful is if you're already in a disassociated state. And that can be psychoses. That can be during a psychotic break. Um, We develop skills based off of the density of our trauma. Uh, And I'm gonna say this as gently as I possibly can, because it is uncomfortable to listen to when we talk about such profound childhood trauma, right? But uh, if you had to live a majority of your life as a little kid, disassociating from the repetitive trauma from a person in your life that harmed you in such ways and then followed it up with, I love you. It is a fucked up distortion of reality to try to live with and or deal with. Um, And when, when you know it's coming, you have to disassociate as a compensatory mechanism. Yeah. So that you're not constantly stuck in that state of trauma as you're repetitively being abused. Wow. Yeah. So how is ketamine therapy then different from, I mean, you know, clearly you're not taking ketamine in psychotherapy, at least in, um, in most instances, but are there kind of some fundamentals of the approach that, you know, distinguish it? Cause I've also heard of ketamine assisted psychotherapy. So, yeah. you know, sort of the psychotherapy word, but, um, but, you know, you see this kind of difference between ketamine therapy and psychotherapy. So what is the difference from, from your perspective? Yeah, it's also the route of entry. So again, uh, it meets everyone where they're at. Uh, we can look at this in comparatives with, say, diet. Uh, not everybody's ready to do the whole 30. So first they start with paleo, and then they go to keto, and then they go here, and then they're ready for here. Same principle, Uh, when we're ready to talk about our trauma or perhaps we're ready to just explore some of the the trauma from early childhood or wherever that may be, uh, EMDR is amazing. Uh, 
we can do a, a lot of things to start moving through that trauma and getting to a place where we're ready to move through it. And so the assisted psychotherapy component can be done in multiple ways, meaning I can sit down with a therapist and I can have a ketamine lozenge, which allows me to have a lubricant to segue into uncomfortable conversations that would normally cause me to be triggered and react and shut down. So now I'm softening the edges. I'm able to talk about it more. I don't have the same visceral response to the story or wherever I'm going with it. I'm able to step in. And then there's the ability to now go into an intramuscular. So again, it's all routes of entry into the body. A lozenge takes a little bit different route and a little longer of a time, essentially, depending on the lozenge and the dose. It also depends on the human. Intramuscular has to make its way through the layers of your muscles. And I've really been um, looking at all these avenues and modalities, uh, scientifically, exponentially, experimentally, and all different realms of how do we embody the medicine and what can be right for each person independently. the reason I choose IV in therapy is because it goes a hundred percent to source, meaning it's in the bloodstream. So now it's definitive of where it's going and how it's working. If I were to give it to you through your muscles, the variable is anywhere from 60 to a hundred percent of how it's going to make its way into the bloodstream. Meaning um, we got to look at fat solubility. We got to look at water permeability. And we have to look at how hydrated are you? How much adipose do you have? And how do you metabolize? That's a variable. And so therefore dosing can fluctuate, responses can fluctuate. And let's get real, you can't shut it off. I can shut off an IV and it's done. It's half-life, ketamine's half-life is very short acting. Uh, And and what does a half-life mean? Half-life means how long it takes for 50% of it to be out of the body. Uh, Clonopin, which is widely prescribed and used, has a 20 to 50 hour half-life. You're not even clearing it out of your system before you're taking it again which is why it creates such Yes. Ketamine has a two hour half-life. And so therefore the medicine moves through you and the insights are forever. Uh, And the embodiment at flow is that uh, I believe you're the answer. And the only way to get there is through, meaning you got to sit with yourself and you got to see yourself in order to know what you need. And then we help you by holding space and guiding you and integrating you with your nervous system as you're recalibrating yourself. Mm. 
it's open access to us at all times so that you have the educational side, you have the scientific side. We work with your current therapist. We also don't want you to reestablish a brand new relationship if you're not ready for that. We talk to your therapist. We talk to your psychiatrist. We make sure that they know that how we're showing up and so that we can create a, a care plan in togetherness. And uh, truly what the, the goal is, is mutualism. Uh, I, I don't want to do this alone. I want to be hand in hand and stand right next to all the providers who are ready to do this as well, too. Uh, we're more effective together because we are all one, right? And the rules are mutual love and respect. Hmm. So when we're talking about all of um, these, you know, when you're talking about kind of what happens in the context of of ketamine therapy in terms of being able to step outside your trauma and to witness your trauma. I mean, we, it's pretty obvious how transformative that can be for anybody with the imagination to reflect on it even for a minute. But what have you seen um, happen in people's lives in the work that you've done? Like what, what kinds of changes, obviously it's different, I'm sure for everyone, but what are the kinds of changes and transformations that you've witnessed? I have witnessed men break generational sexual trauma with the support of their ancestors. I have watched men and women completely dissolve the relationship with Adderall, mm. no longer attached to the need for pills because their relationship changes instantaneously. I just had a gentleman who sat with the medicine one time and literally has not used and has done away with his Adderall usage, which he has been on Adderall now for many years. And he was taking it twice a day and hasn't touched it since. Wow. I have watched people completely stop drinking I have watched people completely come off of Xanax after the first session. Mm. I've watched them get rid of their SSRIs and completely come off of antidepressants. It's incredible what we will allow our minds to do when we can come out of our trauma network. Mm. Now, in those some of those instances, like for example, when someone is able to transform their substance abuse, do they come into the sessions sort of knowing that's what they want to accomplish, or is it just a, a natural byproduct of the process? The byproduct of the process. We're shedding unconscious programs. We're liberating stored, memorized traumatic responses vibrationally in the body and we're expanding your consciousness and when we expand your consciousness you take power and energy away from what was mm. we're reevaluating our relationship with our story so no longer is that the truth that's no longer my truth my truth now is that happened to me and I've learned from it in these ways. And now I'm moving forward from it rather than re-victimizing myself every single day, 
by being stuck so deeply in that trauma loop that that's all I can think about, talk about, or feel because I constantly think it's going to happen to me again because I'm still so deep in survival, even though I'm 20 years removed from it. The event is so profound that it's constantly shaping our lives because we're still in that energy loop. Yeah. Well, and also what seems powerful about it, you know, just touching on something you said earlier was when you described this situation of being a baby in a crib and crying um, and, and having kind of the trauma loop maybe even go all the way back to that moment, that is something that we can't really narrate, right? And psychotherapy, at least, you know, in sort of its talk um, um, version, we don't like it's all about kind of narrating the origin story right of your of your trauma in some sense but for many of us if it goes prior to even the ability to articulate or to remember that story how do you narrate that you know so it seems like this is a much more it's like getting below the threshold of your conscious mind which is below the story and the story is often right it's it it doesn't it's it's not it I mean, of course, it's transformative to remember and to narrate and to tell that story, but sometimes you need to get before the story even to where, you know, you weren't able to actually even remember or articulate that, but it's still there in the body. A hundred percent. It's to the point of singularity. What do I mean by that? I mean that our trauma starts at the point of our existence, which means Jacob, I was inside of my mom when she was inside of her mom, when she was inside of her mom, which is where when we talk about our lifetimes that we've lived, we cellularly have been through the depression, have been through all of these areas of trauma at the cellular level. Women are born with all of their eggs completely intact inside of their body. Wow. 200,000 eggs. My daughter was inside of me. My son was inside of me when I was inside of my mom's belly. When she was inside of her mom's belly, when she was inside of her mom's belly. And we can track that now back 13 generations. For some of us, we are clearing hundreds of years of trauma. Wow. Cells have memory. Water has memory. Turns out we're made of both. (laughs) And so therefore, what we're clearing is cellular. And it is, it, it, it. It's far before the story that we even know, which is where some clients are impacted so deeply by their ancestors and their lineage of what they're healing in totality, because they're also the ones that are breaking generational trauma. Mm. I know for a fact that I am. And it's lonely at times, and it is the hardest fucking thing I've ever done in my whole life. But I also know every single day when I get up that I'm doing it for my kids and I'm doing it for me 
And every time I heal me, I also heal my mom, regardless of her lens in this whole story. Yeah. And to know that my daughter has a greater chance to not be harmed as a woman in relationship or whatever vibrational matches that, that don't serve, right? That are unconscious programs that are playing from the trauma that the women in my family have endured and the men. I can't even imagine how tortured my dad was for the answer for him to be to take his own life. Uh, that has nothing to do with selfishness. That has everything to do with sadness. Yeah. And for him not to feel safe enough to talk about his sadness just shows the depth of that trauma. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, you are such a compelling uh, spokesperson for this process, which is, you know, it's so evident that you've gone through it yourself. And um, I'm, I mean, I've known a little bit about ketamine therapy, but I don't think I've heard it sort of expanded upon and spoken to in such a like illuminating and profound way. I mean, it's just so clear how transformative and effective it can be. Um, I have one last question before we yeah. kind of begin to close and, and I'll invite you to kind of share how people can get in touch with you. Um, but I guess, you know, another thing that you sometimes hear alongside or at least associated in this uh, with this in the movement of other kind of psychedelic assisted therapies is uh, cannabis and psilocybin. Yeah. And so I'm just curious about the difference in terms of what ketamine facilitates that perhaps is different from these other two, like um, just as a, as a way of differentiating kind of <clears throat> yeah. the experience and, and, and the effectiveness. Yes. I love, uh, I love talking about drugs in totality because we are, <laughs> we are the drugs, right? Uh, and this is, again, I'm going to ask for the temporary suspension of all belief systems, because this is where it can be uncomfortable if it's not in alignment with your current belief. Yeah. At 49 days in utero, meaning when we then are transitioning from a cluster of organized cells into a sentient being, there is a moment where dimethyltryptyline and or DMT enters our pineal gland in a spontaneous eruption of consciousness. Mm. <laughs> every single one of us. It's, it's amazing. Uh, the pineal gland is the conductor and that's where dimethyltryptyline embodies consciousness into the cells. And we establish human being as a sentience and a cluster of organized cells now turns into a fetus, right? Uh, and we transition into a human being, through, you know, a super groovy portal into earth called the uterus yeah, out of a vagina, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. And so uh, DMT. So why does all this matter? Right. Well, DMT is a component of our human being. We are made of it. It's extremely prevalent in breath and in the lungs, but it's found throughout the entire body. It's also found in all of nature and it presents in multiplicities. And so if we look at the history of drugs, we have 
psilocybin, which is DMT, but it has an additional molecule that comes off of it that allows it to have an MAO component. The hell does that mean? It means that psilocybin is activated by saliva, which allows us to chew it and then activate it. And it's making its way through the bloodstream through our GI tract. Whereas DMT by itself, it has to be extracted. And because it is predominant in breath, it has to be inhaled. So dimethyltryptyline by itself is something that we bring into breath and we inhale. Psilocybin is DMT with an additional piece that gets an activation through saliva or mucosal membranes. Whereas ayahuasca is DMT, but it's also comprised with a root that allows us to drink it, which then allows the medicine to churn up all of the dense trauma in the gut. Mm. It's an in internal purge or an internal stir of emotional and dense trauma which then also has a psychoactive component to where now we're walking through our own mind. So it's multifaceted. Whereas then LSD has an expansive, it's ergot, right? It, it's found on wheat. It's also from earth. And so LSD has massive engorgement of neural circuitry. It allows you to see pixelated reality uh, this is 3D reality. It's tangible. It's comprised of us putting together things and densifying them into matter to where we can actually hold them. Well, when we have these hallucinatories or hallucinogenic psychedelics, it allows us to see all of the realities through pixelated form. Uh, which then allows you to see things like color and sound in ways that we've never experienced them before. Cannabis, the, one of the greatest gifts from earth is designed for our physical body. Meaning if you were to look up right now, endocannabinoid, you would see an entire system in the body designed for cannabis designed for CBD. What does that mean? It means that when we consume cannabis, we are allowing ourselves to become aware of what we need. Now this comes right back down into survival and how ketamine's gift works separately with the limbic system and us becoming aware of our nervous system. So the, the nervous system we have two branches of it predominantly that we'll talk about, right? One is fight or flight. The other one is rest and restore. You'll also hear it as feed and breed, right? If we've been trained to always be in a hurry, always be in worry, speed and aggression, that means our survival part of our nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system is extremely engorged, and heightened and in full hypervigilance and diligence, 
which means we're telling all of our vital organs, we're telling ourselves as a human being that we're in survival. So now the organs are responding. Everything is coursing physiologically in a state of I'm running for my life and I'm surviving. And we can do that by thought alone. I can be sitting here thinking about something traumatic and create that same physiological response, which is how we train these networks in our mind to be so powerful, which is why time right now can be so scary. But what does that also signal the body to do? It signals the body to not go into R&R. So now our circadian rhythm is off, which means we're not sleeping. Now our hormones are off because our adrenal glands are kicking a hundred miles an hour because it thinks we're running for our lives. And now there's these engorgements and these pressures on the internal organ systems that are like, holy shit, we are running for our lives, but we're sitting still. It's like pushing on the gas and slamming on the brake at the same time. When we participate with cannabis, cannabis allows the nervous system to show us what we need. You want to know why you get cotton mouth is because you need some damn water. <laughs> That's the truth, right? But we still, as human beings, we still don't go get water, right? We're like, nah, I'm going to grab a beer, <laughs> grab a soda, or I'm going to grab water, but I don't like water. So I need to turn it a color and put some flavor in it. <laughs> so that I can like it a little bit better, but I'm still defeating my purpose. Or uh, there's an entire generation, my mom to be included, that because I made this coffee with water, therefore it's also drinking water, just tastes like coffee, <laughs> right? And so cannabis allows us to see what we need. If you get hungry, it means that you've literally been overriding your system for so long and not feeding yourself that you're starving but you weren't even aware of that because your nervous system was telling you that you had to survive. If I'm running for my life, there's no way I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm going to take a break right now because I'm kind of hungry. No, you cannot go to the luxury parts of our human experience. If we're constantly in a state of survival, the same thing goes for intimacy and procreation. If I'm running from a fucking saber tooth tiger, I'm not going to stop and be like, man, Maybe I want to have sex right now. Ever, ever, right? We talk about even like if a plane's crashing, we're like, I'm totally having sex. No, you're not. There's no way that you can have any kind of uh, erection or any kind of intimacy if you're, yeah, if you're in survival. Those become luxury organs, which is why we also see an impotency crisis right now, major erectile dysfunction as a species because there's so much pressure on men right now in survival, that that becomes a luxury item. It's not a necessity. And so when we participate with cannabis, it brings into an awareness of the things that, that we need to purge out of our body. It's lock and key with the lymphatic system and really we'll start to, to purge and help with free radicals, which is all the excess things in our body that don't serve purpose that can cause disease, dysregulation and worse cancer. And that's why cannabis is so great for patients or clients that already are experiencing this, right? And so it brings into awareness what we need. And if we enjoy cannabis and then we fall asleep, it's because you needed a nap. Yeah. 
But what about like paranoia? Because you, a lot of people experience you like they're like, oh, I don't smoke weed because it makes me really paranoid or self-analytical. So what's that telling us then? I mean, I'm sure it's different for different people, but definitely one, it can be the percentage, right? Uh, Earth never designed these dope ass strains of hybrid, super potent, right? I think I'm the only person that goes into a cannabis store and I'm like, what's the lowest percentage that you have? Cause I don't want to just turn into just like, blah, right? Yeah. Uh, so at times it's because there's such a shift in the nervous system. If you think it's about it, it's too much. And so now it, it's such a contrast, it causes paranoia, which means you, you for people that that experiences the solution to pollution is dilution. You got to get some water in you, start flushing it out of you and start neutralizing your body. You need food and you need a gravity blanket or something to really hold you snuggling self-regulation, any kind of human contact and touch will help so much. And also being able to tell the truth. So that also comes down to not being able to feel safe with who you're around. Uh, Jacob, if if we're in the same house and I don't want you to know that I smoke cannabis and I go hide it. And now I'm worried that you're going to not like me anymore. I'm not going to tell you the truth. And so that means I'm not in my truth. That means I'm scared. And if I'm scared and my nervous system is trying to balance itself out, I'm just causing harm. Uh, It's courage to be like, hey, uh, I just smoked cannabis and I haven't done it in 20 fucking years. And now I feel crazy and I'm super fucking thirsty and I need you to hold me. (laughs) Or there's times I'm like, can you just, um, can you play with my hair and just tell me that I'm smart and pretty? Cause I'm really fucking like, cause my eight-year-old self right now is on the fucking jungle gym, man. And people are being fucking mean. And I just need someone to hold me and nurture me. Can you bring me some fucking potatoes? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I need some water. I need water with a straw too. Cause sometimes it'll fuck you up so bad. You can't even lift your head up off the couch. Right. Especially if you're fucking with edibles. Yeah. Edibles. I mean, now we're changing the chemical composition. Now we're allowing the liver to metabolize it. And if you haven't been too nice to your liver, your liver's like, bro, enough is enough, right? Like it's already trying to process out of the core's light. And so now here comes the cannabis and the body's just like, ah, I don't know what to do. And so then it has stagnation and, and there's a compounding effect because we've also been trained that it has to be instantaneous. I need to feel something now where an edible is going to take a while. And so therefore 45 minutes, you're like, I don't feel nothing. You only do this once. Sometimes you do this twice, right? You don't fuck around with edibles, man. You take one bite and you're like, I don't feel nothing. And you take another bite. And next thing you know, you're like gravity itself. Yeah, like gravity itself is destroying you. You can't come off the ground. You're like, it's awful. And what if you have kids? And now you're even more worried because now you're going to, you know, you think your kids are going to judge you or not love you as much. Or that's where the encouragement to even talk to your kids, right? Like as adults, we'll drink booze in front of our kids, but we're scared to tell them that we may smoke cannabis or that we're getting help for our mental health with ketamine or whatever it is. It's like, no, let's talk to the kids, right? 
Just because I'm an adult doesn't mean we know what the fuck we're doing. There's a lot of pressure on parents right now because parents are compounding in their own mental health, but we're also still the hierarchy. We're also still the provider or the guardian. We're all these things, right? Uh, I have conversations with my kids all the time about mental health and reestablishing our boundaries. And what does that look like? Like, hey, I need a minute. My name is Christy and I was Christy for 30 years before I became mom. And so Christy needs to do this. And then mom can show up for you. Separation of the roles. Yeah. It's we're, we're reparenting ourselves. We're relearning ourselves. And at the end of the day, the answer is love. We need 10 hugs a day to survive. I need like 30. Same. <laughs> same. Same. Ah. <laughs> that's why we're hiring people to snuggle right now there's a whole profession out there that's built off you can rent a snuggler man oh my god that is incredible mm-hmm. what an important service i'm so serious you're like you're like you gotta wear pants <laughs> gotta wear pants keep it pg <laughs> yeah well christy this has been so fun and interesting and I mean, I feel like I need to sign up for a ketamine therapy session or 12, um, having listened to this conversation. And I know that people are going to be really fascinated by this and and reach out. So why don't you give the listeners um, some information about how they can find you and how they can perhaps connect with you to go through this process or to explore the possibility of it? Absolutely. And I appreciate that. And I would be honored to hold space for you and with you uh, for sure, Jacob, you let me know and uh, I will clear some some time for sure to connect. Uh, You can either submit an inquiry on our website uh, that then also allows you to schedule designated time with me. uh, And that's done at flowintegrativeketamine.com. Uh, I have some pretty powerful news that we're opening a second location uh, with some really, Exciting. really beautiful, yeah, some really beautiful women up in the Bay Area. So uh, that peninsula location is in San Marcos and will be opening in the beginning of August. Uh, but for right now, our, our main location, our first location is in Encinitas. Uh, okay. So you can either submit inquiry on the website You can also call or text our business line, which is 909-735-FLOW, which is 3569. So it's 909-735-3569. You can also reach out on social media, LinkedIn, uh, Flow Integrative Ketamines on LinkedIn, as well as my own personal page, uh, Get Ficked is our Instagram handle. That's brilliant. <laughs> thank, thank you. Uh, and so there's uh, multiple ways, but you can call, you can text, you can email, you can submit an inquiry online, whatever resonates with you the most for what you're comfortable with. Uh, that's how we we are open to all avenues of, of information. So Excellent. So I'm assuming that, <clears throat> I mean, obviously our listeners are are all over the United States and then in other countries as well. But with this kind of process, you kind of need to be in person, right? So so should people who are in other states or 
other places want to go through this process, there's a kind of, you know, they have to travel and then set themselves up and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and we're working right now. I mean, the my vision is global. Uh, I want to be able to bring this everywhere. Yeah, and we're working on that uh, for sure. But yeah, we. I mean, we have some people that come out here and stay for two weeks. We really do create you a schedule. Uh, we have some people that fly in and sit with the medicine and then fly back home. So it really just depends on what you're ready for. Uh, and I'm also working on right now to launch a pretty incredible program to help people at home. Oh, that's great. So yeah. how many states can you actually do this work in legally now? All, all states. Ketamine is legal across states. the board. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you can do ketamine therapy in, in any states now? Yeah. And, they, and that's where I encourage everyone who reaches out, especially if there's a place close to you, just give them a call and ask some questions. Uh, yeah. Because not not everyone is the same in the approach, uh, and so some modalities are not as uh, they're all different. Yeah. And so I would just encourage you to see what resonates with you, uh, and, and then go from there. But otherwise, I I'm going to work diligently to make sure that we can take uh, flow and um, put it all over. That's amazing. Well, it has been such a pleasure, Christy, to speak with you today. Mm -hmm. I've been speaking to Christy Myers, who is the founder and CEO of Flow Integrative, which is a ketamine psychotherapy practice. Mm -hmm. uh, Christy, thank you so much again. It was such a pleasure. I appreciate you, Jacob, very much. Uh, I love having conversation with you. Uh, this was fun. <laughs>